Let me know. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast on the Complete Complete Media Network. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, and joining me as always on Monday, Jason Cameron. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, we're probably going to be staying a little bit indoors today. It's not that great a day today. Not that great. But that's okay because we have more playoff basketball. Can't wait to see that today. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic weekend with uh, eight games, uh, all game ones from the NBA playoffs. It was an amazing weekend for that. Uh, happy Victoria Day. Um, we have a holiday here in Canada. Uh, next week, uh, our American families and friends uh, have their three day weekend, but uh, we get it today. Good old Victoria. Thanks so much for um, giving us a holiday, Queen. And uh, yeah, we're going to take advantage of it today. Oh, yeah. We're going to take advantage of it today by doing this, giving to our viewers, and then also to appreciating ourselves by getting to stay indoors, kicking our feet up, relaxing, and watching a bunch of playoff basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like heaven to me. It's pretty damn good. Uh, I got a lot of feedback from our uh, opening of our conversation last week. Uh, as you remember, I um, really felt quite terrible after having to pick up some dog doo-doo for the first time and you uh, told us this story about your godson and uh, I can't stop thinking about it being all the way up to his neck <laughs> as you had to change his diapers. Um, man, uh, that, that visual has been with me but a lot of people said they laughed a lot and uh, were, uh, yeah, couldn't believe we started off with eight minutes of talking about poop. I'm glad people got joy from that, from my trauma. I'm, I'm super glad of that. I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm emboldened, you know, like it's just awesome. Awesome to see. Great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Well, um, it had me thinking and uh, I don't, I don't necessarily want to start with poop conversation here, but um, I, uh, I've been locked up in my home for so long. I got to go out and work recently uh and they feed us on the film set and uh you know when i'm eating during the day i tend to use the washroom a lot um you know how we went through that uh toilet paper crisis uh at the beginning of the pandemic well i don't like going to the grocery store because uh, we get fed at work don't really need to i basically have known for not going to the grocery store for like four or five years and uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I went to the grocery store, I loaded up on toilet paper, I loaded up on food, um, but I ran out and I'm down to one ply in the house here. <laughs> I, I think I have to bite the bullet and go get some two ply because one ply just, I don't know why anybody even invented one ply. It's uh, pretty sad, pretty bad. Yeah, it's flimsy. It's flimsy and it will make a mess. Like, I don't really need to go into the particulars. I think everybody else knows about the particulars of that. So, yes, two-ply, three-ply. Anything more than one is better. That's for the best. Really well, the only other option I have is to completely stop eating. I've, I've really cut my eating back because I'm not doing a lot anymore. Uh, plus, nobody's giving me food, so I'm kind of just relying on my girlfriend and you know anything that I've got leftovers. I'm I'm down to some cans of food that 
I don't even know why I bought it. It was just sitting on the shelf. You know, did you go to the, the grocery store and there was almost no food on the shelves, but a few cans of things that people didn't even want? I don't know why I grabbed stuff like that, but I thought, uh oh, maybe, maybe I'm going to be stuck in my house for a few months. I better get everything I can. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I remember in the beginning when you saw that, you saw that. It reminded me of The Walking Dead, where you're just like, I guess I'll just grab whatever's available because I don't know what's going to be available in the next upcoming weeks. So I'll just grab whatever. I, I know that I felt that too, because when you saw the rush of people just going, I've got to buy everything. <laughs> then people just had these shopping carts just full of food that they would normally ever buy like that. Yeah. It's almost like they're preparing for a Thanksgiving day feast <laughs> every day of the week, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That was bizarre times. Those were really crazy. Yeah. I think we're up to uh, 429 days since the actual first day of the quarantine. And uh, luckily, uh, today's the last day of the lockdowns and all the very restricted things that we've had to deal with here locally. I hear a lot of provinces, a lot of states, a lot of areas are opening up because of um, people have got the um, vaccine and uh you know our numbers are down and stuff like that so um do you think we're just going to see chaos now on the streets uh in the restaurants as people have been locked up for so long not being able to go out do you think it's going to be a pandemonium now out there i think people are definitely going to take advantage of the fact that they don't have to be locked up in their homes because it's one of those things where if you if you take away literally everything that a person can do well then you know what once those things come back, then people are going to start coming out in droves to do the things that they want to do, to see the people that they want to see, all of those things. Like, yes. And the restaurants are going to love this because now for all that expensive space that they pay for every month, they can now utilize it again. Isn't that great? You can go inside your restaurant and you can eat inside the restaurant as opposed to now. Here's a funny thing. My friend actually pointed this out. So now they they literally have us right now eating outside the restaurants but some of the restaurants actually have it so that it's in a tent with tent flap walls it's confined again so what's the difference right yeah, if somebody could tell me that that'd be great because like i understand what outside is outside technically but i guess outside can also count as if it's in a tent <laughs> in an enclosure then yeah. that's still outside very good very good yeah I know that's a good point. Uh, my girlfriend, Larry, she mentioned that too uh, to me recently. She's like, how is that outside? That doesn't seem outside. Uh, there's nothing, no airflow through there. Uh, she pointed tents and, and some of these enclosed areas they have outside the actual physical walls of the restaurant. There's still huge glass partitions, uh, you know, lots of uh, areas. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't actually make sense in a lot of ways, but Luckily, uh, maybe this is the last of it. Maybe this is the last time we have to worry about it. I do. I am pretty happy, though, that there are so many more outdoor areas now to eat. I think it's great. Uh, I, I see it here in Kitsilano. I see it in many areas of around the lower mainland. Uh, it's fun that people are, are out uh, during the summer and uh, spring and summer uh, in, and probably into the fall where there's so much more outdoor areas um, that there ever was before. I think restaurant owners are going to be probably asking the city to keep now those functional outdoor spots available to them as they should, because let's be honest, man, 
those people have sacrificed a ton during this pandemic era. And that's something that the city can easily just give back a little bit to them, you know? So. The other thing too, is um, I hope we get word on uh, being able to fly, uh, get vaccinated and being able to fly. Uh, probably the longest time I've ever went without flying anywhere. Uh, I really, um, you know, always loved uh, joining the mile high club. Now it's the meter high club and uh, you know, I'm pretty, pretty sick of that uh you know it's really nice to be able to travel places enjoy yourself on the plane and uh, where the destination you're going so um yeah i'm looking forward to it too you have any trips uh, that you want to take now uh, once it's open we can get a chance to go away uh yeah like there's like a ton of places i'd love to go to but first and foremost for me before i even consider flying i need that that two-week quarantine thing to go away once that thing goes away, then I'll, I'll look into flying somewhere. But uh, right now, it just doesn't make any financial or fiscal sense to go flying. Then if you have to quarantine, then I got to pay this much money to quarantine over on that side before I can actually start my trip and then come back home and then pay money again. And I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait until all of that stuff is done and it's dealt with. And then I look forward to doing like a month long trip somewhere, hopefully next year. Can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Well, there's uh, tons of st uh, sports to talk about uh, from the weekend. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, as you said, there's some basketball today. Uh, big game two between the Heat and the Bucks is at 4.30 Pacific time, 7.30 Eastern. And the Trailblazers and Nuggets play their second game today, 7 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock Eastern. Um, I guess why don't we just get into uh, yeah the, what, those those two series right away because uh, we're gonna see them first game twos. That Heat and Bucks uh, game was probably my favorite game of the whole entire weekend. Uh, you mentioned before we started that uh, man, what a game that was! Overtime, super tight. Um, yeah, it was just playoff basketball at its finest. Uh, very 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 tight defensive game and uh one bucket either way man it was a great game uh, did you love it as much as i did i sure did i sure did unfortunately though i i didn't have uh I, I didn't get the chance to watch the full game so i saw the highlights where i could and the game was absolutely fantastic i love the fact that these these two teams have history because they played each other in the bubble so that's why i feel that this series is going to be it's going to be a dogfight because they're familiar with each other. They're familiar with their tendencies that everybody wants to try to do on offense and on defense. It's going to be a chess match between the two uh, coaches, which is Spolstra and Butenheiser, or Buten, Butenholm. Butenholzer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. It's going to be, it's going to be a, like, it's going to be a coaching challenge for both of those guys because they're so good, right? And, uh, but as I've said before to you, and I'll say it again, I think the guy that's going to be deciding factor, and I believe the Bucs actually will win this series as opposed to the Heat winning last year because of Drew Holiday. I've, I've always I've said this before, and I will say it again. I believe he's going to be the difference maker for this team. Um, although when the, when the game first started, I kind of thought, are the Pacers playing? What the heck is going on here? Because of the, the jerseys that the Heat were wearing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was really yeah. weird. Yeah. Really weird. Sorry, not that much of a fan. Don't really like those jerseys so much. Maybe that's why they lost. So, 
But uh, what I will say is that uh, Middleton is instrumental in that win, hit the game winner with 0.5 seconds left in overtime. So, yeah, man, it's it's going to be that kind of series between these two teams. Yeah, well, Drew Holiday had 20 points and 11 rebounds. Um, he was um, fantastic. Uh, 42 minutes played great throughout. Uh, Giannis was a little off. Um, he was only 10 for 22 from the field. Uh, couldn't uh, hit his free throws very well. His numbers look pretty good. Uh, 26, uh, 26 points and 18 rebounds. But uh, he was definitely a bit off. But I think Miami was focusing a lot of their attention onto him. And uh, Milwaukee always needed that secondary guy and third option. And Middleton stepped up. Middleton had a fantastic game with 27, 6, and 6. And, yeah, they just didn't have an answer on Miami's side to, you know, push him over the top. Duncan Robinson started off great. He had a ton of threes. He was, uh, you know, really sinking from outside. But both Bam and Jimmy Butler struggled a bit from the field. Uh, they just weren't able to score like normal. Butler's numbers were, yeah, they were okay, but uh, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. That's really not Jimmy Butler's numbers. Usually you're seeing him scoring about 30 points a game. So, um, yeah, good on Milwaukee for shutting him down. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, Dor uh, Goran Dragic, uh, 25 points um, off the bench, which was pretty good. But, um, yeah, I, it was a very awesome game to watch. Uh, super highly contested. Back and forth. Either team could have won for sure, but uh, Milwaukee pulls this out. Uh, do you see Miami turning this back around and getting game two? They can. I, I think they can. And because, like, for Miami, they do have an X factor. Like, Bam didn't have a great game, so Bam shows up. And then the other guy that I'm kind of waiting for him to come around is Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero shows up. Yeah, man, this, this, this series will be very difficult for the Bucs. But right now, you could say that Tyler Hill's hit some, somewhat of a sophomore slump, so to speak. But um, you know what? The playoffs can erase all of that if he steps up and starts playing well. Well, game two tonight uh, has Portland and Denver. Um, Denver uh, highly touted as uh, the favorite in this series. And uh, when you and I had this podcast last week, I said, uh, I think Portland's going to be able to take this out. Uh, I, you know, I just thought uh, Jamal Murray is too much of a, a miss for Denver. I think uh, he's going to be missed uh, way too much. Uh, we saw him in the bubble last year. He was just scoring at will and a uh, really, really hard guy to stop. Uh, Portland is trying to use uh, Michael Porter Jr. as that guy, uh, you know, maybe in other options. But I don't know. I just think Blazers just maybe just have more. Uh, they looked phenomenal uh, last game. They won 123-109, and Damian Lillard was phenomenal. Uh, 34 points, 13 assists. CJ was great, another 21. Uh, the guard play is just so one-sided in the series. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, man. If you got your all-stars or super all-star in Lillard and CJ, and those guys can score at will. They, like, they can score from the outside at any point in time. And then I, I can't tell you how many times I saw Lillard do his, his patented step back, look like he's going to drive the lane, steps back back to the three, and just dots it right on the person. doesn't matter who's out there, too. Like, it's just – it's absolutely amazing. And then if he drives, 
he has Melo just hanging out by the three-point line. And he had a great game, too, with uh, 18 points as well. I believe the Blazers hit 19 threes in total in this game. So they were absolutely on fire. Now, the one thing that stood out to me on Denver's side of things, Porter Jr. had a great game. He had 25 points, nine rebounds. They need him to score like that. So if he can continue to do that for the rest of the series, that's what he needs to do. One thing that did stand out to me, though, Joker had 34 points and 16 rebounds, but only one assist. One assist. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that, was, that was glaring to me because that guy needs to be more involved in running the offense and have more assists. So either his people weren't hitting their shots when he was passing the ball, which I think is more to the point, because that's not going to stay like that for the rest of the series. It's just not because that's not – he's so much better. He's just that good. Once once he kicks that ball out, and those guys can hit those shots. Like his, that number will jump up. But that was glaring to me, and that that won't stay like that. It can't. He has phenomenal yeah. numbers, but he's the the best big, best passing big man in the game for sure. And he's he, he wasn't um, able to you know utilize that skill. Uh, we we were talking about the the backcourt first of all. Uh, Lillard McCollin had fifty five points and sixteen assists. The backcourt of Denver had from Campazzo and Rivers had 14 points and eight assists. So 55, 14, 16, and eight. So yeah, just a massive mismatch in the backcourt there. Uh, but but Joker, what supposedly I heard from a lot of the Portland guys after in their post-game interviews was they were allowing the Joker to have his will to score. But they didn't want him to make it the make the passes. So, as soon as he got the ball, they spread the the floor, you know, covered everybody else, and let him get his numbers. He was going to get him, but weren't going to allow anybody else to get in the mix. And uh, it yeah, seemed like a game, good game plan. I'm not sure what Denver's going to do to change this up and uh, try to get a, a third score involved. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I I said I saw it was a really, really phenomenal game plan. It was the largest road win for Portland since 2000, winning by 14 points, and um, they outscored Denver 65 to 48 in that second half. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love the Denver crowd. Not a huge crowd, but they were pretty into it. Uh, but Portland seemed to really quiet them in that second half. Oh yeah, well Portland definitely shut them down, gave them literally nothing to cheer for. And as you said, that was actually very astute uh, defense for Joker, which is just let him get his. Let him get his and then shut down everybody else because we've seen what happens before. He's like, he's like a Peyton Manning out there. If you blitz him, which is what some defenses do, they didn't learn then, he will, he will pick you apart. He will pick you apart because he has that kind of vision. It's it's your it's he's a true point center. It's a completely different and revolutionized position because he's the only guy that can do it. But that's that's what he can do. So they've decided we'll just let him get his, and then we'll just worry about everybody else. So with that being said about everybody else, I think their, their third score, if they're going to lean on a third score, has to be Aaron Gordon. He had 16 points and eight rebounds, but they're going to need more from him since Jamal Murray is gone. Like, how about this? They're literally going to need more from everybody else on the team to cover for that. I, it might be too much, though. It might be too much to ask. 
Well, we talked about Denver acquiring Gordon at the deadline. Great move. He's been pretty good, but he needs to be elite. He needs to be, um, yeah, definitely getting 25-point range for them to be competing with the Blazers. Um, uh, offensively, um, defensively, they, they, they needed, um, yeah, they need to make some stops. I don't know how they're going to shut down that backcourt. Nurkic was great. Uh, yeah, I think um, Blazers have more than Denver has right now, I think, but uh, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, I guess the biggest uh, upset, there was lots of upsets on the western side of the bracket. Biggest upset, in my opinion, over the weekend probably was Phoenix over L.A. for most people. Uh, L.A., even though they're the seventh seed, a lot of people are picking them to still win the championship. In my bracket, I picked Phoenix to go all the way against Philly, and uh, we'll see. I hope I can pull that off. Um, Phoenix uh, played a phenomenal game, I thought. Uh, even though Chris Paul got hurt and he was really um, definitely hampered by the injury, uh, they shut the Lakers down and only uh, allowed 90 points in a 99-90 win. Uh, a great performance from Phoenix. Fantastic performance from Phoenix. Kind of a little bit troubling about the Paul injury because you could tell once he, once he got hurt, unfortunately, by running into his own man with his right shoulder, um, all of a sudden, him dribbling the ball with his right hand, not very good. Like, he was losing control of the ball to the point where you're just like, well, he doesn't ever do that. Oh, ever. Strange. He, 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 he never does that. So you know that that injury will be bothering him, and hopefully, we'll, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on that to see how it affects him for the future of this uh, series. But then, so he hurts his shoulder. He hurts his friend, LeBron's shoulder, too, on a box out where uh -huh. he hooks his Under, arm. Undercut him. And undercut him and hooked his arm. And I want to say this. I think the hook of the arm and the yank of the shoulder on the arm, and then once LeBron fell down, it wasn't the crash to the ground. I think it was the initial hook of the arm that Chris Paul had and that hooked him and jerked his shoulder up. I think that's actually what hurt him. And so did his coach, too, as well. He alluded to the fact that, yeah, that, that the box out that Paul did was, I believe the coach said it was dangerous, so to speak. So I don't know about dangerous when the guy weighs about 80 pounds, but whatever. You know what I mean? But it still hurts. And I'm sure Paul apologized to his boy and his friend. Um, the thing that really stuck out to me, though, in this game, Davis had an awful game. Absolutely horrendous game. 13 points, seven rebounds. Not good enough. He what knows was wrong? What, what do you think was wrong with AD? What, 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 was, what was wrong? Is he still banged up or did they have a better game plan against him? No, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think he just had a bad game and that mm -hmm. can happen. I think that's what it was. I think, though, come the next game, that dude's going to be coming up with full fire. Oh, yeah. He's going to be firing on all cylinders. So 13 points for AD, that's great on the sun. They locked him down, but they're not going to be doing that in the second game. Mark my words. Yeah. Phoenix was uh, phenomenal at home this year, 27 and nine. Um, yeah, just a really great atmosphere there. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was phenomenal, 21 points, 16 rebounds, 10 from a, for 11 from the field for Ayton. I don't know why they weren't feeding him more. He wasn't missing. Uh, he really outplayed AD, and that was a big shock for most people, I don't think. People thought uh, DeAndre Ayton at such a young age, uh, first playoff appearance, was going to be able to outplay the big man. Uh, I think 
I have, I, I've started to get it, uh, a thought that maybe Andre Drummond um, maybe shouldn't be in the lineup. They should put AD at center. He might be able to dominate Aiden. He might be able to get a lot more. I think uh, he wasn't sure where he was supposed to be many times through through the game. And I think uh, Andre Drummond's um, presence there was throwing him off. I think so too, because it's, it's I don't know if AD's kind of used to playing with a player like that that's always going to be constantly in the post and it's just going to clog up the lane, which is what Andre Drummond does. That's his game. So then now all of a sudden, Davis has to kind of find his way through the offense of where he's supposed to be. And the reason why there's a little bit of confusion for him and probably for both of them is because they just haven't played it with each other enough. They really haven't, right? Somebody's out with an injury. Drummond just comes in late into the, into the season onto the team. So there's no real rapport or chemistry there, right? So it, it's, it's going to be tough. I think they'll figure it out. And also, too, the other, the other person that kind of stuck out to me for the Lakers, who I think they may utilize even more so in this series, is uh, Montrez Harrell. He had a good game, strong, he was efficient, and I think he just plays better along AD anyways because they've had more reps, they've had, they have more chemistry there. So you may see a change in Vogel's approach with his matchups for the next, uh, next game. Yeah, I've been surprised that Harrell's took such a back seat uh, as soon as Drummond got there. Um, Harrell was, you know, has been phenomenal in his career. He's, you know, a very productive guy when he gets his minutes. And um, yeah, he's definitely took a very back seat. Uh, sometimes they put Gasol in and you don't even see Harrell much at all. So, um, yeah, uh, I think you're right on that. I, I, I love when he comes in and I think him and AD play super well with each other. Uh, do you think um, the Lakers should panic? Uh, do you think um, they should get very worried about this this Suns team? First off, they should have been worried in the first place when they played them. You, you don't get that record over nothing, right? So, yes, they should be concerned, but not overly concerned because LeBron is still there. He's still the captain of that ship. And uh, ah, he's still LeBron James, you know? So it's... I don't think there's anything to worry about yet as of yet, because like, you know, it's still going to be a long series. And um, like I said before, AD didn't have a very good game. Let's see what happens when he does have a very good game, which I believe he's going to have in the next, uh, next game. I loved uh, Booker in this game. Uh, he was 13 for 26, 34 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. Uh, you know, he was the biggest key uh, other than Aiden. I think, um, you know, Booker looked great. This is his first, playoff appearance and um, you know we, we've been waiting years he's been so highly touted he's kind of in an outpost there in phoenix not a lot of people uh you know consider him as good as he really is but uh great performance first playoff game yes yes he was effective and he was aggressive he went to the hole he, he, he was very effective in taking his shots where he needs to take his shots and uh he didn't shy away from the contact and he didn't shy away from getting into the paint and challenging AD, which he did on a number of times. AD was pretty close on some of those blocks, but he didn't get it. And Booker would score. So as long as I think as long as he just keeps being aggressive and keeps being the leader of the team like he has been all season, uh, the team's going to do fine. They're going to do great. Okay, I said the biggest upset maybe was the Lakers losing against Phoenix, but uh, on paper, the numbers, the Grizzlies uh, – 
are definitely the team that uh, pulled off the biggest upset, an eight seed, the last team to make the playoffs, beating up on the mighty Jazz, who had the best record in the league for the first time in their history. Uh, this game all comes down to a very, very, very late scratch. The spider, Donovan Mitchell, they uh, decided, nope, we're not going to risk it. He's got an ankle injury. We don't want to play him. And I hear he was absolutely furious. He was so angry at the club. He threw a bit of a fit. He was. He said his words were, I was incensed. I was just, oh, I couldn't believe they hold, held me out. But uh, they're thinking long-term future, obviously. And they don't want to, you know, send a guy in that's um, a little iffy. So, uh, but were you shocked that even without Mitchell, the Grizzlies would be able to pull off this, this win against the Jazz? A little bit, a little bit, because... You know, like the like Jazz is still a very good team, even if Mitchell's not going to play. Like they're still a very good team, and end of the day, the Grizzlies are the number eight seed. But the Grizzlies did the right thing; they took advantage of the situation. They said, "Oh, your best player's not in, so you're saying we got a chance." And they took it. They took it, man. And our Canadian Dylan Brooks, massive game, huge uh, game, yeah. thirty-one points, seven rebounds. He. He was uh, the straw that stirred the drink in this particular one, for sure. I couldn't have been happier, man. He had a massive game. No kidding. Yeah, he was great. Uh, he was just lethal. Everywhere he went on the court, he found an open spot. He went to the hole. He was just – he was constantly really good. Yeah, just so solid of a game. Uh, he had a great game in one of those play-in games, and uh, he's had a phenomenal year. He's coming on being that second uh, option for the Grizzlies. Uh, they, uh, they, were, they were really fresh coming in, I think, because they had a game, couple games in that play-in tournament. The Jazz have been off for over a week. Uh, they seem maybe to have some rust. So rest versus rust, uh, there's always that issue. But uh, Dylan Brooks was great. John Morant was good, 26 points, 4-4. Four and four. Uh, JV had an okay game, 15 points, 12 rebounds. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I was really, uh, yeah, I was really shocked that Memphis, um, was able to, to pull this off. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich had a great game, 29 points, five rebounds. Mike Conley was good, 22 points, 11 assists. Um, uh, Gobert, I don't know. He just uh, didn't seem to be as dominant as usual. He had 11 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, Favors was good off the bench with 12 points and 11 rebounds, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, You've given uh, the Grizzlies, this young franchise, a bit of confidence. I looked up uh, some of the records of the Grizzlies franchise, and this has been a sad, sad, sad franchise for its existence. Uh, this might have been the biggest victory that they ever had, and uh, let's hope they can build on it and uh, make this a really great series. Well, they can definitely build on it if um, the Jazz front office says, well, Spider, we're going to have to sit you out again. You know what? I'm just going to say this. He's not sitting out for the second one. If he was that angry for sitting out the first, they're not going to risk sitting out the second. The problem, they might have him on a minutes restriction for the second game going in, but I mark my words. That's not happening for the second game. He's not going to sit out. <laughs> it's it's yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, uh, he'll, uh, He'll just tell him, hey, no, forget it. I'm out. I'm, I'm going out to the court. I'm not sitting out. So you're right. Yeah. 
Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, okay, there was a little minor upset. Uh, the Mavericks uh, beating the Clippers. Um, the Clippers kind of tanked at the end of the year so they could play the Mavericks. And that might have been some good bulletin board material for Dallas. They might have said, hey, they actually wanted to play us. So let's uh, let's show them that we're built uh, pretty pretty well to beat them. And Luca, phenomenal game. Um, everybody else uh, chipped in and a uh, huge win for them. Yeah, massive win. Luca, 31-point triple-double, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. Like, here's the thing, man. Luca's going to do Luca stuff. He's going to be awesome. It literally comes down to everybody else on the team needs to step up and help the guy. That's it. That's it. If, the, if he has enough people step up and help him, they have a chance of beating the Clippers. They can actually pull this off. They can do this. And my X factor for the Mavs is Przingis. If Przingis can actually, I don't know, kind of reach back into time and find the Przingis of old with the Knicks, this could be a very, very interesting series. And I love the fact that this time around for this particular playoff run that the Mavericks are on, Jalen Brunson is back. Jalen Brunson is just a solid point guard that can run the office that you can trust and that can get you timely buckets when you need a timely bucket. And he did it in that game with 15 points. And like, you got a guy like that. And if you got Brasingas, and like I said, if you can just, tap into you know what he used to be even just for a couple of games like that that makes this team a very very big problem now on the other side of things with the clips Kawhi did his things 26 points 10 rebounds five assists George did his thing 23 points six rebounds five assists like on paper obviously clearly the Clippers are a better team but it doesn't mean that they'll win you know so it, I, I'm curious to see how this, this particular series plays out, especially in the next game, game two, how the Clippers come out for it. Yeah, like you said, uh, Kawhi and uh, PG-13 both had uh, decent games, pretty good points, but uh, there wasn't a third option there. There wasn't a guy that stepped up. Uh, top scorer outside of that was Batum and Rondo with 11 each. Beverly had 10. Beverly didn't play much. He only had 17 minutes in the game. Uh, yeah, they need a, a third option. They need somebody else that's going to be able to score for them, uh, pull down some rebounds. They got uh, out-rebounded out badly, I thought. And um, the Clippers pushed this team to six games last year. I think they learned a lot. I think they, uh, you know, have a chip on their shoulder. They want to advance past it. You're right with Porzingis, Porzingis being very, very key. But um, they also have a lot of bigs on that team. And I think Dallas can uh, really give LA a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I think they can. And as long as, like, Luca's always going to set you up in the position that you need the ball, all you have to do is knock down the shots. That's all you got to do, man. And if the Mavs can do that enough, they, they do have a chance of beating the Clippers. They really do. Well, the NBA has got to be a little angry after uh, the weekend because they love when the L.A. teams are good. And then they love when the New York teams are good. And the New York Knicks, even though the Nets are a much better team right now, the New York Knicks are getting all the press, all the love. Uh, you saw a full Madison Square Garden there on the weekend. Uh, you see all the celebrities coming back out. Uh, but Trey Young and the upstart Hawks were able to pull off the huge upset uh, Trey was like, yeah, 
Okay, everybody, shut the hell up. Uh, no more from you. I'm taking this. And he scored the winning bucket uh, under a second left. And, wow, that was huge. Uh, I don't think a lot of people had the Hawks winning this. And, uh, yeah, they've proved that uh, they've got a really solid team and they're going to give Knicks uh, everything that they ever want to have. Oh, yeah, man. That The Hawks are for real. They, they are a very good team. They have all the pieces uh, to to go far, if like to go farther than they ever have in a long, long, long time. Uh, unfortunately for the Knicks, Julian Randle, awful shooting game. He absolutely had a awful shooting game. Don't worry, Knicks fans, that won't continue. But he didn't have a very good game, but quickly did. And the guy that had the best game, un, uh, unsung hero, Alex Burks, came out of nowhere with 27 points. <laughs> and he, he yeah, you got guys on that team that can just step up out of nowhere, which is why I like, I really like the Knicks. That's why I really like the Knicks. But I also really like the Hawks because I just love, I love the way that their team is constructed. They got players and people that can hurt you everywhere. They literally do. They kind of have players everywhere. And uh, Bogey, Bogdanovich also too contributed, had 18 points. Like Young and Bogey, like that backcourt, that's extremely dangerous backcourt. If they like those two guys really are, they can be difference makers, but for the Knicks to get past the Hawks, Randall has to be better than that. And I'm sure he will be. That was this probably his worst game of the season. Uh, he was sort of even getting into MVP talk uh, this year, uh, had such a phenomenal year, really came out of nowhere to have such an incredible year. Uh, somehow. Yeah. He just wasn't, um, yeah, wasn't able to pull the trigger much. Uh, yeah, the, the Hawks, as as I said, going into this playoffs, they made so many offseason moves. They were able to really start solidifying this team around Trey Young. And uh, Clint Capella, another great game, 13 boards. He's a presence uh, on the boards. Uh, getting Lou Williams late at the trade deadline was super smart. Uh, really good score off the bench. He pulled in 13 points in 13 minutes. And, um, yeah, like you say, Bogdanovich. I like Collins. I think he brings a lot to the table all the time, too. Um, yeah, Knicks are going to have to uh, regroup. Uh, Trey Young uh, was able to join some really elite company uh, with his 30 points and 10 assists in a playoff debut. He joins Derrick Rose, Chris Paul, and LeBron James to only be the other three players to ever do that. And he joins uh, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, and Lou Alcindor as the first MSG playoff performance with a 30-point triple-double. So uh, imagine, you know, imagine being mentioned in that company. A lot of people, um, you know, say Trey Young has a lot of holes in his game, but uh, to be able to come into MSG with all that and put on a triple-double, get a win, and join those elite names, uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah, he, he, he joined some rarefied air there. But – those holes in those games that has a lot to do with just his youth. But right now, at this moment, Trey Young actually has the perfect coach for him in Nate McMillan. Because Nate McMillan understands he was a guard. He played for the Seattle Supersonics. He understands, like, the intangibles needed to win. And so and he's just instilling that, that confidence in his young player, in his young superstar. He wants him to play his game, but he just wants him to be smart about it. Don't be jacking up threes when you don't need to. Jack up threes. Make sure that you run the offense. Make sure that you get 
your teammates involved that need to be involved at that right time, the right place. He's beginning to do all those things. And then once he needs to take over, well, then take over, son. Go to work. Get cooking in that kitchen, which he did in that last uh, minute of the game. He really took over. Yeah. As you said, Alec Burks was amazing. Uh, I, I wished he stayed with the Warriors. I think he was a great piece there. Uh, he left and went to the 76ers um, in a trade deadline deal last year and then signed a free agent deal with the Knicks this year, a $6 million deal. Loved his outside shooting. He can hit from anywhere. And um, he was a key piece. Uh, also, Derek Rose. Uh, man, uh, you know, what an acquisition he's been. Uh, former MVP, had so much struggles with injuries, has been bouncing around the league for many teams, uh, but had a lot of success with Chicago, obviously. And uh, Tom Thibodeau is there, brings him in. And uh, when he comes off the bench, he immediately brings some electricity to that Knicks team. He, he brings electricity and he brings confidence yeah. because it's just like he, he understands what needs to happen. He's been there before. He's been in the trenches. And uh, his teammates clearly trust him. And then his coach, Tibbs, is just like, well, you got the green light. Go to work. And, and that's all you could ever ask for, like, as a player who's fallen on hard times because of injuries, who's been at the top of the mountain, and then now is in a more of a supplementary role. But he's okay with that, too. Right? You know, like, sometimes you have to have the, be able to have the mindset to be able to change as a player, which he's, he's done throughout the years. And I think the Knicks are definitely, definitely benefiting from his presence. I, I uh, still love R.J. Barrett. I think he brings a lot. Uh, he had 14 points and 11 rebounds himself. Uh, but uh, the Knicks bench outscored their starters 64 to 41. Uh, so, uh, wow, that's pretty um, crazy stat. Uh, Julius Randle, like you say, struggled. Six for 23, only 15 points. Um, but uh, we expect... We're going to see a very much better performance out of him uh, in game two. Uh, let's turn to the other New York team, the Brooklyn Nets and the big three. Um, they only were together eight games in the regular season. Uh, we talked about chemistry issues and, and difficulties trying to be able to pull it together. But once they were together, we expected them to dominate and be able to outscore most teams. Uh, they were able to beat Boston on the first game. Uh, pretty lackluster start, not very great uh, off the bat, but they outscored the Celtics 57 to 40 in the second half and beat them 104 93. Uh, the big three scored 82 of 104 points and assisted or scored on 98 of the 104 points. So, um, yeah, everybody else, get out of the way. We've got these three guys, we're going to beat you. Uh, yeah, how did you like this performance? I liked it. I liked it. It's unfortunate for the Celtics because they don't have enough. With the injury to Brown, that that really that's kind of derailed their team just a bit. Because like Tatum needs help. It it can't just be him because he's going against three like gods of basketball, right? <laughs> so he needs some help. And Smart had a good game. He had 17 points, five assists. Tatum 22 points, five assists himself. Kemba had 15 points. Kemba actually needs to be a little bit better. He needs to be a guy that has to score like Tatum does in above 20-point range. He's got to be there. And then their other guy that needs to step up for Celtics, if they want to have a chance to win any game in this series, is Evan Fournier. They got him. They got him at the trade deadline to do 
what he does. And it, but he needs to score because Brown is not there. So their supplement of that scoring needs to come from somewhere. And I think Fournier could help in that respect. Here's the thing about the Nets, though. Here's the thing. Okay, so you had Durant that had 32 points, 12 rebounds. Irving, 29.6 rebounds. Harden almost has a triple-double, 21 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Okay, so you have those three guys that you have to contend with. And just what you just said, they can score 82 points, about 104 points, all right? There's one other guy there that sometimes people forget that he's lost in the shuffle. And that's what I believe that makes this team pretty much damn near impossible to play. That's, that's Joe Harris. Joe Harris, highest three-point percentage in the league he finished with. So you can double-team those three guys, but that guy's kind of going to be left open. And he's just like, oh, it's super easy. Sweet. Swish, swish, swish. And he can drive when he needs to. He can put the ball on the deck when he needs to if you close on on him properly. So that's what puts him over the top, is having a guy out there that's a dead-eye shooter. That is just going to hurt you every single freaking time. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Harris is a deadly outside scorer. And um, yeah, I was surprised they didn't give him a lot more shots. Uh, I was surprised that Kemba Walker only played 27 minutes. I'm not sure why uh, he was out of the rotation quite a bit. Tatum played 41 minutes and you know had a, had a decent game. Not up to his standards, really. Uh, he's been scoring in high 30s even. 40s and 50s, um, but, uh, you know, 22 points from him. Uh, Fournier has been really great uh, since he's been there. Uh, they have been giving him an opportunity, and he's been scoring uh, in the in mid-20s most games. Um, but, yeah, had a bit of an off game. Uh, I Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Boston just doesn't have have the team, obviously, to, um, to win. I, I predicted a four-game sweep in this when I did my bracket, and, uh, I hope it's not going to be, but I think um, the Knicks are, um, yeah, uh, I mean, the Nets are uh, just, yeah, just way too deep. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, Brown missing, uh, you know, it's such a huge loss. Uh, it's so it's so terrible for fans of teams when, you know, one of your top guys is out uh, going into a playoff matchup. It's it's so crucial in basketball to have your top three guys. It's so crucial. No, yeah, you, you need them. You need them if you want to have a chance to win because the other team has all their guys. And the deeper you go into the playoffs, the harder the teams are going to be. So that's why you need all your guys. You need you need to be firing on all cylinders. Like even the Celtics in the beginning of this game, I think they went 9-17 of from three. But here's the thing, though. Once you stop scoring, the Nets never will. That's the problem. They're never going to stop scoring. You can You can go cold for a bit. But during that time that you're cold, they're still scoring efficiently, like a machine, because yeah. you got those three guys. And they're, they're, that's the problem. You can't stop scoring with them. You have to score with them all the time. Everybody's been talking about Brooklyn's defense, but to hold um, any team to 93 points, um, you know, a really good performance for them defensively. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if Boston's able to pull something together, but uh, they're in very, very tough. Um, the only series we – haven't covered so far is the number one in the east against the number eight in the west uh i mean in the east as well uh philly and washington uh washington went on a historic run played great in that uh, final game getting into the playoffs um but philly was uh yeah definitely the better team in this one 
And the, the guy that stands out to me was Tobias Harris. Um, phenomenal game, was able to get his uh, points on, on the floor everywhere he went. And uh, for him to get 37 and, and really, uh, yeah, just um, not be stopped, that was the key for me. Yeah, yeah, Tobias Harris is uh, he's kind of like that, uh, the, the hidden gem on that team. Yeah. And nobody really talks about as much. People got to give that guy a lot more credit. Because he came out there, he, he played his game, and he played it very efficiently. Uh, he was fantastic. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid was a monster as usual. He was did his Embiid stuff, 30 points, six rebounds, three assists. And then you had uh, Seth Curry, brother Steph, just doing what Currys do, hitting threes with 15 points. Uh, they looked fantastic. And then the Warriors, I mean, sorry, and then the Wizards looked great because – I want to point out that Bradley Beal looked fantastic. He actually didn't look hampered by his hamstring injury for the first time in a long time. He looked fantastic, 33 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Ah, the other thing is, though, I, I do want to talk about, I love Russell Westbrook. I love his energy, but sometimes I believe his shot selection can be questioned. But the thing is, he can affect the game in all the other areas too that matter. And, and I think sometimes he just needs to focus more on those areas. If he just focuses on the rebounding and assists, nah, man, and which he does anyways, I, I just think sometimes he needs to just come back on the shot selection altogether and just focus on those other two things, which will really help his team win. Oh, you're you're 100% right on that. And I thought that uh, at the end of the game, he jacked up a three that should have been Beals. You know, it should have been not, not in his hands. He shouldn't have been taking that shot. He should take an example from what Simmons did. Simmons uh, only had six points, but he had 15 boards, 15 assists, and he was such a facilitator. Uh, he Simmons has a hard time with his shot. I think Westbrook has a hard time with his shot most of the time, unless he's coming and driving to the hoop and get, getting a layup. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I think you should step back, uh, facilitate, give it to the guys that are going to be able to shoot and score. And, uh, yeah, Washington will have a, a much better chance. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I believe they'll have a way better chance of defeating this monster, the 76ers. But at the end of the day, man, 76ers are definitely going to get past Washington on this uh, because they're just they have a better team. They did. They have a better team. Yeah, Russ. Um, yeah, just didn't look great. He wasn't. Um, yeah, his, his scoring wasn't wasn't fantastic. Six turnovers. Uh, he wasn't as wasn't his usual triple double self. And um, they scored. The, they spread the scoring around to a lot of the other guys. And I think they could have even done that a little bit more, um, as you say. So, yeah. So. Uh, Phenomenal first um, opening weekend of the playoffs. Uh, man, it was, um, yeah, one fun weekend for me. Uh, I, that was one of the most fun opening weekends I've ever had. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because I'm, I'm looking at this particular year for the playoffs. I, still, I, I, I believe it's still wide open. I don't think you can, you can confidently say that one person, like one team is clear favorite that's going to win. I don't think there's a team like that because even as great as the Nets are, still haven't played really played together all that much. And as you get deeper into the playoffs, you're going to need that chemistry to be, you know, highly functioning. 
and to be a thing. Basically, it's it's gonna have to be there. Like those guys are gonna have to know where each other are, and that's like through through those reps and that um, that familiarity, know how to find each other. That may be a problem getting deeper into the playoffs. Sometimes I hate statistics like this, but I'm gonna give you the statistic. When a team wins game one of a best of seven series in the NBA, they've won the series in history 76% of the time. So game one is absolutely crucial. Uh, we see game one across the board in all eight matchups. Uh, a lot of uh, these other teams, especially when the road team is winning and upsetting that home team, it's it's massive. Uh, the West had a lot of upsets. Uh, the East was... Uh, went fairly according to plan, but 76% of the time, it's uh, it's a big stat. Yeah, that, that's a huge stat. That, that, uh, that's uh, very telling on how important game one is in any series, especially in the NBA. Um, okay. How did you like that play-in tournament? Uh, we we uh, did our podcast uh, right as the play-in tournament was about to start. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but uh, did you enjoy it? I did. And I, I, I'll tell you somebody who enjoyed it even more was the broadcasters, partners, the partners for the NBA. They really did because the numbers that uh, the Lakers uh, Warriors did were astronomical. They were astronomical. Actually, anything that uh, Steph was involved in, because people were just like, I, I want to see more of that dude. So I'm just going to tune into his games. And they, he had great games like that. That game against the Lakers set the tone for the playoffs. It really did. Like that set the tone. So I think that people, players, fans watch that game. And we're like, okay, it's time to go. It, it's, it's time now. Like I, I, we're ready, you know, like in with LeBron doing a staff and hitting it, hitting a 34, 35 footer, to put the game away. Yeah. Like it was, it was what a great game. Yeah. Fantastic game. Yeah, we were. I wasn't expecting it to be LeBron to hit that uh, buzzer beater uh, to win the game. And he said he was practically blind. He was seeing three hoops and he just went for the middle one. And and did you see the look Steph gave him when he hit it? He was just like, oh, man, that's no, he, no, he didn't just hit that. Did you? It was uh, yeah, a phenomenal game. I, I'm obviously disappointed being a Warriors fan that they weren't able to win that game. They were so tight with it. And they actually got beaten overtime by the Grizzlies too. Um, do you think it was a pretty lost season for the Warriors, or was it a a decent uh, season for them all in all? Because they, you know, they played pretty well, and uh, you know, Steph had such an MVP type year. I, I I think there's there's positives that you can pull from this season. I, I think one one of the main big positives is that Steph can do that. He, he, he can do that. Like he, he can steal your games. You know how great he is already, but sometimes you always have a question mark of, well, he always has his partner in crime, Clay Thompson with him all the time. So what happens if you take that guy away? Well, then he just scores more and then he's more efficient at scoring. That's actually what happens, <laughs> which is just kind of like, Oh, that's incredible. It is incredible. Like, you know, and once Clay comes back, once that dude comes back and as long as he, can come back to the Clay Thompson that we're used to, which I'm just going to be honest, man. I'm sure it's going to be a thing because look at what happened with KD. It doesn't even look like he hurt himself. 
that that's where he's at right now. So I would imagine that we'll see the same from Clay. And then once Clay comes back, that that's a different Warriors team altogether. Just like that. Well, the Warriors are missing Ubre big time. They were oh, yeah. missing Wiseman. You know, he got hurt uh, just before the end of the season. Uh, obviously, Clay's been out for a couple seasons here now. Uh, but Wiggins stepped up. Um, I thought Draymond played great this year. Uh, they, you know, they definitely missed Ubre. I think he was a huge addition to them. And, um, you know, he, he was missed in these games. I think he would have been able to, you know, help them get over the top with that. And, um, yeah, we'll see when they pull it together. I, I hope Wiseman comes back healthy. I hope Clay comes back healthy. Uh, we'll, we'll see how they pull it together. Supposedly, there was so much good feedback on this play-in tournament that they're talking about a mid-season tournament. Have you heard about this? Nope. <laughs> mid-season tournament I don't, okay go ahead yeah so this is what i've heard so far is it's an eight team single elimination tournament they're going to use uh the sort of model of european soccer the way they have it uh they would reduce the season to 78 games from 82 because they would have this mid-season and they would put it together uh the winning players in that tournament would get a million dollars each and uh, they're thinking of um, pulling this together. Supposedly they talked about it last year before the pandemic hit. And then once uh, this happened and they had this play in tournament, uh, they've talked about it as a possibility. Um, I don't really understand it all yet, but uh, yeah. I, uh, what are your thoughts to just even hearing that they're proposing this? Well, my, my thoughts are, okay, so what's the advantage? Like, like obviously, they want to garner more, more eyes to the TV, right? They, they want to up their TV ratings. But, like, I'm just wondering, how does that fit into the grand scheme of what's the advantage for? I, I see what the advantage is for the broadcasters, right? But what's the advantage for the team? And then, then I see what the advantage for the players are. They get money, kind of make a lot of money already. But. You know, like, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if teams would look at that and be like, oh, I, I don't know, man. Like, there's no real advantage going forward for the team. The players there are, I guess, for the broadcasters are, maybe maybe they'll be garner some attention from the fans. But I think the play-in tournament, the way that it's set up, from what I've seen, at least this year anyways, that seems to be working. So why not just stick with that, you know? I don't know if this other thing needs to be a thing. I understand that this is their their time to to test out theories because of all this all the stuff that's happened now. I get it. I get it that this is their their chance to capitalize on things that are going through their head. I would need to hear more about what the mid tournament thing is all about, and maybe they'll flush it out a little bit more going forward. Because right now I'm like, mm, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how they picked the eight teams. I don't know how they uh, pull yeah. this whole thing together. Um, I guess the last thing I want to talk about is uh, how did you like the fans? Uh, almost every arena was pretty full. Uh, that New York game, uh, they kept showing the celebrities, which is, um, you know, something that they key on quite a bit. Uh, yeah. That Nick uh, MSG was rocking and a lot of these stadiums, um, man, the energy was up. Yeah, yeah, it, it was cool. It was cool, actually, for me. 
to see the difference in the states in, the, in their policy. Denver really didn't have anybody. <laughs> New York had everybody in there. Like to the point that I, I in, my, in my mind, I thought that since there's still this COVID thing kind of going around, that you wouldn't have fans courtside. You would have that buffer away from the players. I guess that went away pretty quick. Wow, that was that was super quick. So I I don't know. I, hey, if it, they're way ahead of us with the vaccinations, I get that. And I, I I believe for a lot of arenas, they actually have sections quarantined off for you have to show your card this is for vaccinated people. That's why you don't have to wear a mask. And for non-vaccinated, then you have to wear a mask for this section. I don't know what it is for courtside because if I remember correctly, it didn't seem like everybody was wearing a mask, which is kind of funny to me because I would think that if you're courtside, you've got to wear a mask. And, and there would be no questions about that, vaccinated or not. Don't care. you got to wear a mask. But that's not necessarily the thing for every arena or for every state. So I look at the states and I think to myself, you know what? We're just going to use you as the Petri dish. You're the test because you're already going to that extent anyways. So let's see if the vaccinations are truly working. Let's see if anybody from the league, staff, players get sick because you have this flux of fans now in close proximity to everybody. Let's see what happens. If nothing happens, nothing happens, then it's great. But if something happens, then, you know. Yeah. I heard an amazing stat today that actually Canada, for our first dose, we've inoculated higher percentage of our population than the U.S. has. Uh, they have more second doses in arms than we have, but we've put higher percentage of first vaccinations in people's arms than the entire U.S., which I, I was really shocked by. Um, I, I heard somebody say, oh, you know, We've got more vaccinations than the U.S., and that's impossible because they've got 10 times the population, but that they meant uh, the uh, percentage. So, um, yeah, we're doing a good job getting that first one into the arms. We need to get that second one into arms. And, uh, yeah, but you, like you say, yeah, they're, they're kind of the Petri dish, and hopefully, uh, yeah, people can stay safe there and we don't see it uh, spike up again and cause massive havoc and lots of health troubles because it's been – horrible um you know just a horrible thing for you know so many families um you know just i saw the thing about carl anthony towns just you know lo losing almost his whole entire family to to covid it's just super tragic and i don't even know how he played a game this year after all the heartbreak he's been through yeah yeah and and that's what that's another thing that people seem to forget like this is a real thing and it has real implications going forward for families and friends and stuff. Like I personally, for myself, I just learned from a, that a friend of mine lost his mother to it and she caught it and yeah, lost her life literally within weeks after that. Uh, it's, it's something that we have to take seriously, you know, like, and, and, and this, this for me to see the rush of people going back and everything, Yes, it's great. I just want people to be safe. And I think that's what everybody wants. I, I, I don't want to see anybody else go through heartache. You know, like we just, we, you know, people just want to see people being safe and being smart about it. And I, I, just, I just don't know if packing a stadium for a boxing match of 73 or 74,000 people, I don't know if that's smart. You know, like I, I don't know if that, is, is there a need to rush back? 
Like, is there? Like, if it's going to cost more lives, is there a need for this? I, I don't think so. Okay, I have uh, two football notes, and then we're going to talk about the uh, last weekend's UFC. But I want to talk about our partners and sponsors first. And I'm going to share our website. Uh, I'm going to pull that up so people can go and see completesportsmedia.com. And uh, there's our partners and sponsors page. Uh, Anchor has been a fantastic partner. Yeah, great at posting on multiple podcast platforms. Anchor.fm is the place to go if you want to create a podcast. They call themselves the easiest place to make a podcast, Anchor FM. Verbero, the hockey equipment and apparel company, industry leader in technology, performance, and value. And as always, the V350 stick is the must-have for a hockey player in your family. Pampas and Possibilities, they design and sell dried florals, do floral arrangements and installations. They're designers of handmade, curated things with West Coast vibes at reasonable prices. And finally, Forever Living, the aloe vera company. They grow and manufacture aloe vera-based products for health and beauty. So, yes, um, those are our partners and sponsors. Thanks, as always. And uh, just a couple of NFL notes. Uh, obviously, off-season, there's not a um, huge amount of news, but... Two things have come out in the past couple of days. And the biggest one, especially for Atlanta Falcons fans like you, is Julio Jones wants out of Atlanta, has requested a trade. Supposedly, the Falcons have been in discussions with other teams for the last couple of weeks, and they're shopping them around. They're looking for a first-round draft pick and other things. Um, what are your thoughts hearing the news of that? It took them long enough. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I get it. I get it. He's probably looking at it right now and thinking to himself, well, how many more years do I have left in the league? Do I have a real shot of winning anything with this team right now? No, nope, you don't. And so now he's looking at it going, I need to try to get on a team where I got a shot of winning because like, he's probably looking at it long-term. Maybe I have two to three more seasons left that the body has to give. And that's probably why he requested a trade. Me, he may not have any even bad misgivings about the front office, about the team or anything. He just wants to give himself a chance to win the big Super Bowl. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's too bad though. Cause uh, man, he's been phenomenal. One of the greatest wide receivers of our generation. Uh, he's been so solid and Matty Ice has had him there as a, such a weapon and, uh, they've been able to assemble such an incredible receiving core there. Uh, super dangerous. They just need to get a much better defense and they should be fine. But um, yeah, it's uh, tough news. Uh, we'll see um, what shakes down out of this and uh, uh, yeah, see what Atlanta can pull out of another organization. Uh, he's still one of the greatest wide receivers in the league and should garner a lot of um, great talent coming back their way. Uh, there's been a uh, there's been an off season of a lot of disgruntled quarterbacks and a movement already in quarterbacks. Uh, I mentioned I just needed two things. I actually need to mention three things. Um, there was a comment today from Pete Carroll. He said that Russell Wilson drama is over. That's old news. He's happy. We're happy. We're moving forward. Uh, I'm not sure how this came to uh, came to be because. The Seahawks didn't address the need for offensive line help. 
They didn't address the needs that uh, Russell Wilson wanted to be part more part of the conversations. And uh, but Carol says uh, everything's rosy and great in Seattle and move on. New story, please. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I, I guess I'll give uh, Pete uh, the benefit of the doubt since he's just he's super optimistic all the time. Most optimistic coach I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, definitely. He, he's definitely the polar opposite of what, what the hoodie, Bill Belichick, because he's happy. He's happy with his life. But um, I'm a little bit surprised. Like, so clearly, clearly behind the scenes, um, a real talk or many, many meetings and talks had to have happened between Russell Westbrook, uh, the general manager, the front office people, coach, all of them together to try to figure it out because I thought the relationship was completely and utterly broken to the point that it was not going to be salvageable, but I guess somehow they managed to salvage it somehow, some way. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what was promised. Probably something was promised, probably, possibly on both sides, but something happened to swing it back so that now he's staying. I'm, I'm impressed by it because I didn't think that was ever, ever going to happen. I thought he was up. Yeah, I thought he was done in Seattle and um, a whole generation is lost and gone and uh, that legion of boom is gone. But we, we thought uh, Russell would be a Seahawk for life. But uh, yeah, maybe they pulled it together and uh, let's hope so because he's fun to watch and he brings the team into the playoffs every year. And um, yeah, he's still an elite quarterback. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, the Green Bay Packers started their optional training uh, optional workouts and every single year for 16 years Aaron Rodgers has been at these optional workouts he was a no-show and uh, it made news um, is that relationship beyond repair it's an optional workout well you know what I mean so you chose not to do it this year and also too like you said he's been doing it for 16 years this is his 17th season Ah, you, you know, you get tired, getting old, getting battered. Now, here's the thing, though. Now, if he doesn't show up for the actual training camp, oh, that's news. <laughs> that's 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 it right there. Good because point. once very good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're struggling for NFL news, but uh, I thought we should uh, yeah touch base on a couple of things that have made news in the in the day in the last couple of days. So, uh, let's turn to the UFC. We had another great card. Um, the UFC Vegas 27 with the main event, uh, Cody Nolov Garbrandt uh, fighting Rob Font, a huge bantamweight battle, uh, guys that are trying to get up to the possibility of facing the champion. Uh, Cody was coming off a huge, massive knockout of Rafael Asuncao and uh, being the former champ gets a lot of opportunities and chances at some big fights. Uh, but Rob Font was um, amazing. He goes from pizza delivery boy to one of the elite of this division and uh, of the UFC. And he put on a phenomenal performance. Uh, I think he, yeah, he probably won four out of the five rounds at least and uh, was just a very dominant fighter in this one. Yeah, he was. Um, I, you know what? What you just mentioned right there, I want to I point back to the listeners about that. I love the story that he was delivering pizzas and he was 20 or 21 years old, right? When he, when he fell in, in love with MMA. So, and I, I, I believe, 
I want to say Font's 28 or 29 years old, something like that. Like, I don't think he's 30 yet. All right. Yeah. So he managed to become literally one of the best fighters on the planet in like seven to eight years. Do you understand what, like, that's ridiculous. That actually shouldn't make any sense. And that should be an impossible thing to do. But he's done. It. That's how extremely talented he is. That's how good he is. So this fight, what it showed me was this. It showed me this is what happens when you're inactive, as opposed to when you're active. Font's been active. Our brand, unfortunately, has been inactive due to injury. I believe now from watching this, maybe guys do them that, themselves a service by trying to rush back in and taking on top talent. Maybe it's time for guys to really take a step back and say, nah, need a tune-up fight before I fight some of the best in the world. Because that's what I thought was the difference. Font was just a step ahead the entire fight. Font didn't have to think about the things that he needed to do. He could fight on instinct, where I thought Garbrand had to mentally do that clicking over and thinking. And then that was the difference in it in and of itself right there, where he had to think about it and Font just had to do it because he's been doing it this whole entire time. And like, that that was it, man. Like he was just a step ahead and Font was fighting off of that ridiculous jab of his. And as he said it himself in the post-fight interview, best jab in the fight game. He might be right about that. He might be right about that because he was throwing that and hitting Garbrandt in the face all day with that, all day. Yeah, well, he has a six-inch reach advantage. Uh, he definitely utilized that. Uh, they're the exact same height, so obviously his arms are, are much longer. And, uh, yeah, he, he um, was able to really, really be a much better fighter with that jab and keeping him on the outside. Uh, they were pretty even on the feet at times, uh, but um, Font was just way more damaging strikes as the fight wore on and, and really was uh, stalking him, was able to, you know, take... Uh, take a lot of these rounds and, and be the better fighter. Um, yeah, he's he's 33 years old now. I just uh, yeah looked up his bio and saw. I knew he was in his 30s, but um, yeah, he's actually uh, 33 now. But me meteoric rise from a guy that's just not sure what he wants to do with his life, delivering pizzas. Uh, the story is that he when he arrived at a at a house to deliver the pizza, they were watching the UFC. And uh, they had some rolling mats in the garage there. And some of the guys were training some jujitsu. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And they told him and they said, hey, sit down and watch some of this UFC with them, us. And, and he fell in love with it from that point forward. Hadn't watched it in his life before. And uh, ended up joining a gym the next day. And, and the rest is history. But um, yeah, cool, cool story. That happens a lot, actually, in the UFC. A lot of these guys, before they make it big, they've got second jobs. They have, uh, you know, families and they're struggling. A lot of them sleep on the floor of the gym because they are homeless even. And uh, they uh, put their, you know, life on hold to pursue their dream of mixed martial arts glory. And, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was cool. It's a cool story and good to see him continuing his career and doing really good. He's He's moving up. He was number three in the division. Uh, should have a really good fight coming up. I'm not sure who's who he's going to fight, but I think um, his next opponent's going to be one of the elite guys. Yeah, as it should be, because um, 
Is Aljamain Sterling, does he have his next fight yet or no? They haven't given him anybody. Well, I think they're running that Peter Jan one back because of the way it ended. And uh, a lot of people, you know, mixed feelings on it. But uh, I think that that's uh, the consensus that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Okay. I, I, can't, I get it. I get it. And I don't get it. Because like I said before, and I, and I believe I said it even then when it happened, I don't know if necessarily you want to gift a guy with an immediate rematch after he broke the rules. You know what I mean? Like that, that's my only thing. That's my only problem I have with granting that rematch. Yeah, Peter Jan was definitely going to get that eventually, but it doesn't mean that he has to have that right away. You know? You know what I mean? So I, anyways, regardless, Font literally has one more fight before he can fight the champ or he fights the champ next. And all he has to do is sit and wait because that's, that's what he's earned now. I haven't heard if that's booked yet. Uh, I don't know if that's a done deal. So, um, you know, yeah, we'll see. But, yeah, he's either, um, you know, fighting for the title next or, or one fight away if he can win. So, um, yeah, good on him. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal uh, performance. And, uh, yeah, I think the UFC is going to, uh, yeah, look at bringing him, you know, a title shot very, very soon. Uh, there was a lot of uh, fights that were canceled off this card, and uh, there was some troubles with, uh, yeah, there was troubles as usual. Uh, there was, uh, let me see here. Um, Colin Pavel was removed from his fight against David Dvorak because of problems with his weight cut. He was admitted to hospital for dehydration and low blood pressure when he passed out after walking out of the sauna on Thursday night. He woke up in the hospital, not sure what was going on. And um, this is the uh, third and maybe even fourth time he's had very hard trouble to get uh, down to his weight. And uh, hopefully they won't allow him to compete at that weight anymore. Um, I, I just don't like this you and i've been talking about this for you know almost a year and uh, you know they're these people are harming their health so badly and uh yeah to you know be in the sauna trying to cut that weight and pass out and have to be in the hospital uh, you know that's not a good look for the ufc here no no it, it's not and i think that the corners their coaches have to take a little bit of responsibility too like if the fighters can't protect themselves, you're kind of there to protect them as well. If they keep seeing this as a, a habitual thing, well, then I guess you can't fight at that, that weight class anymore, man. Like, you, you literally can't make that weight safely. So let's just have you fight at the higher weight class and just go from there. Because it's more important for you to have your health and be healthy in the octagon as opposed to you trying to kill yourself to get to a weight class. And so then once you get into the octagon, you're not fighting at your best because you're not even close to your peak of your powers. The uh, replacement for uh, Holimpeva was um, Juan Camilo Randeros uh, stepped in on only 24 hours notice. I don't think that's even right. You know, I think uh, he was super overmatched, wasn't ready for the fight, um, got himself in a lot of trouble, uh, faced a submission, uh, lost the submission and two minutes into the first round and um, yeah, I, you know, that, that just didn't, didn't have a good look for me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, they, they scrambled really badly to try to give a fight for Dvorak, but, 
uh, it wasn't fair for uh, for, for Ronderos to step in, uh, you know, with 24 hours notice, get himself from wherever he was in the country to there, you know, try to weigh in and do all that. I don't know. It was it, to me. It's another another thing that uh, looked bad on the UFC. Well, yeah, but that guy's going to always take that chance because that's his chance to get into the league. You know what I mean? Like that's that's his shot. So yeah, he's going to take the fight on 24 hours notice. But the thing is, as I've been told is you're going to do that every time because if that's your dream, that's your dream. That's what you're going to do so that you can now get um, get the paperwork so that now you're in. You're in the UFC. You have a fight contract. And now you can fight in the UFC for four fights and see what you're made of, right? So to a certain respect, fighters are never going to say no, but it's incumbent upon the UFC to be smart about what they do with that. They had another fight to fall off the card last minute. Um, Demir Hadnovich, the Bosnian bomber, had his fight against Yancy Medeiros, postponed or cancelled. I uh, haven't seen the reason why uh, both were coming in off losing streaks, so they were chomping at the bit to get into the cage. Uh, not sure uh, why that happened. And Ben Rothwell, he was supposed to fight Asker Mazerov, uh, but he withdrew late and they pulled in Chris Barnett. Uh, good story on Barnett, but uh, overmatched as well. And um, yeah, so we've had some, we have had a lot of troubles with the UFC. Uh, lots of postponements uh, lately, definitely a lot of troubles. And uh, hopefully uh, we can start figuring out this um, weight problem, weight cutting problem and uh, move on. Um, before we get into a lot of the other fights, let's mention there was two retirements on the telecast. Uh, the biggest one being Paul Felder. Uh, he ra raised up to highest as number six in the world uh, during his career. Uh, he was a, a very great fighter, a no quit attitude, uh, has been a great commentator since he's joined the, the desk. And um, he's now doing triathlons. His first one is coming up on June 6th. And uh, yeah, what did you think of the retirement announcement there? I thought it was fitting. I thought it was fitting because you look at the, the age of Paul Felder. I believe he was 37 years old. At closing in on 40, man. So once you get to that, you're getting to that status, that, that point in your life, you have to start thinking of those things because you can't keep fighting. And there has to be a certain time where you got to go, ah, man, okay. And we getting close to the end, regardless of how many fights you've had, whatever else, because it's just, you're going to have diminishing returns after 40, unless you're a heavyweight. Only heavyweights can continue to keep fighting past that. But like, Anybody smaller than that, it just, it, you know, you, you have to look at your career and be like, I think it's winding down or it's over at this point. And Paul Felder is a small, smart man. He's had his wars. But if you don't have that fire, you don't have that want and that need to say, all right, we're going to do the another climb again to the top because it, it does take a lot out of you. Because literally, I think Felder was number nine ranked. So you probably have to, like, fight five really, really hard fights before he gets to fight the champ. And he has to win all five. He can't lose any of those fights. And he knows that. That's another one to two more years. Now you're 39. Nah, that's okay. I think I'm good. 
Not going to happen. Yeah. No, smart, uh, smart move. And uh, he's got a great career ahead of himself um, on the desk and being an analyst. He does a really good job there. I, I like his post-fight interviews. And, and the other guy that was on the panel um, with Karen Bryant uh, was Alan Jobin. He announced his retirement last week. Uh, both Felder and Jobin joined the UFC uh, in 2014. And um, Jobin had a great career. Uh, I just love the story that him and Bilal Muhammad had. Uh, do you, did you hear that story that they mentioned on the desk uh, in between fights? No, I, I missed it. I missed it. Joe Ben said that uh, him and Muhammad had a really great battle, a big fight in the octagon, but they both ended up getting hurt enough to go to the hospital. And uh, when they got to the hospital, they were put on adjoining gurneys next to each other. And uh, while they were waiting for the doctor to come in and tend to their injuries, they sat there for an hour and looked at each other a couple times, but not one word was uttered. Uh, Bilal was a little mad. Uh, Joe Ben had won the fight. Um, they didn't speak one word to each other. Uh, they were just not going to break the silence. And uh, he said it was cool. It was like, all right, I get it. Yeah, you're mad. I don't mind. I'm not going to say nothing to you if you don't want to talk. Good. And then all of a sudden he got a text from Karen Bryant. And she said, congratulations, Alan. You won 50K for fight of the night. So he uh, thought, wow, that's awesome. I'm super happy. So he said uh, the doctor came and tended to his injuries and he got up and he was leaving. Uh, Bilal was going to stay behind and he walked over to his gurney and he said, hey, I just want to tell you, man, we both won 50K for fight of the night. Thanks for the great battle. Really super appreciate it. They shook hands, gave each other a hug and, and he left and he said, it was cool. It was phenomenal. Uh, it was just the warrior mentality, warrior spirit. But uh, suddenly he was happy. We exchanged a few kind words to each other. And uh, we both knew that we had, um, yeah, got the 50K for fight of the night. And it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a neat story. And they to both be on the panel that night, uh, I thought it was neat. Yeah, it, that is kind of cool. That, that's a great story. And also, too, like, it, it's just, it, it's a story that, emphasizes that warrior spirit of you know because clearly Bilal was probably like I lose that fight and lose to that dude and Joe Ban is in his mind is like no man you, you definitely lost <laughs> and so and I understand the silence but at the end of the day there's always going to be respect there's always going to be respect and especially when the respect is shown by your boss in the 50k bonus and so now you can pass that good news on to uh uh, your opponent that you fought in there as hard as you could. And then now he's just like, ah, okay, well, you know what? You're not that bad a guy. Not that bad. I got 50,000 that says you're not that bad. So, okay. All right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, there was one of the fighters. Uh, I think uh, I don't remember who it was uh, off the top of my head, but he held up a little sign after his victory and it had, give me 75 K please, Dana. Uh, I think Silva was it? Bruno uh, Silva. Bruno, Bruno Silva. Silva. Yeah. In, uh, the and, uh, yeah. Ever since Tony Ferguson asked for 75K, I guess a lot of fighters are going to be trying to ask for that as well. Uh, these these performance bonuses were back down to, to 50K. That last uh, week's fight were up to 75. But um, but yeah, these those bonuses sure make a lot of difference to these guys' lives. And 
And uh, yeah, that was that was a neat story to hear. Uh, Alan Joe Ben being able to talk about uh, his wars and his retirement. And um, yeah, I, I hope uh, really good things for both guys. Uh, they brought a lot of joy to a lot of their fans and, and the UFC as a whole. So, okay, why don't we talk about the other fight that now has risen another contender to a title fight probably. Uh, this fight between uh, Carla Asparza, former champion of strawweight division, the very first champion ever in the strawweight division, fighting the Chan Chinese fighter Yan Jainan. Um, Carla looked phenomenal. I loved her performance. And uh, she might have a chance at Rose again, who she won uh, and beat for that belt, the very first strawweight champion ever. Uh, I think that would be an amazing, cool matchup. Uh, but uh, what, what were your thoughts about this, this particular fight that night? Utter domination. Blew her out. Zonan did not have a chance. Cookie Monster took her down, kept her down, beat her up. And then in the second round, when she got her in that crucifix position, I'm like, okay, this is the beginning of the end. And then eventually the referee stoppage. It was utter, it was a complete blowout. Complete blowout by Esparza. It was dominant win against a very game and a very good fighter in Zonan. Um, now that she has probably, she's getting close to earning the uh, privilege of fighting Rose, Here's the problem, Esparza. That's not the Rose that you fought before. She's nowhere even close to that person. So whatever you think you're going to do, you probably should think about that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, they both got better, but uh, Rose has got really, really better. So, um, yeah, careful what you ask for. But uh, she does have a victory over Rose, so maybe that's a bit of a psychological advantage. Uh, this was the second most ground strikes ever landed in a women's strawweight fight. 169 ground strikes landed. The only other uh, one that beat it was Jessica Andrade hit Claudia Gedalia 170 times on the ground in their battle a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, just an amazing performance. Uh, Jan was a uh, number three ranked fighter and uh Esparza came in number four, uh, but uh, super, super, super dominant performance. And uh, she's now on a five-fight win streak. That was only the 11th crucifix KO in UFC history. And, um, yeah, she uh, she's made the call out. She wants Rose next. Uh, I think the UFC is probably going to honor that uh, unless they – give uh wang another chance or zhang another chance sorry um but um yeah it was um yeah nice to see some title pictures sort of presenting themselves off of this card yeah no no it's, it's always good to have like some clarity in the title picture for some of these divisions and it's good to see the uh fighters raise themselves up to be in those talks and as far as definitely earned that right Okay, let's touch on some of the other fights. Uh, the heavyweight fight between Jared Vandera and Justin Taffa. Uh, amazing battle between two huge guys, uh, both tipping the scales at the uh, heavyweight limit. Uh, but Vandera was the better fighter in this one. Um, yeah, he was uh, finally getting his range. 
uh, was really outstriking uh, Tafa quite a bit and uh, yeah, pulled off the upset in this one. Yeah, you certainly did. He definitely exercised his will in this one. He wanted to win this fight very badly. You could tell it's just in, in the, the intensity and the way that he was fighting and the volume of strikes that he was throwing. He was in incredible shape for this fight because of just the amount of strikes that he did throw. And uh, just a very well-rounded attack by, by Bandera to the point that I think it might have caught Tafa off guard by just how well he was fighting and how hard he was fighting. Um, Tafa did bloody him up, which bloodied up the entire octagon in the second round, made him into a bloody mess. But I think that might have even emboldened Bandera more in the fight and to the point where it's almost like, you made me bleed my own blood? Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. And then he started to fight even harder than what he was in the first round. Like he, It was almost like there was a sense of urgency to the way that he was fighting. I, I, I loved it. And I, I do want to give props to Bandera's quarterman. Did a fantastic job of cleaning up that cut at the end of the wow. second. And then he only started to leak again right at the end of the third. Oh, you're right. Super good job. Yeah, amazing. Uh, it looked like a vicious, vicious cut, and uh, he was able to tend to it and wipe the blood off of him and stop that that cut from bleeding. And uh, yeah, it was great. Um, Justin Tafa is a tough New Zealand guy. Uh, his grandfather was a pro boxing champion. His father was an MMA guy who fought the legend Mark Hunt. Uh, Justin Tafa has been training with Mark Hunt. Over the last few years, he's a young guy. He's only four and three in his career. So only had seven professional fights. I think if he can get himself in a little bit better shape, a little bit better cardio. Uh, yeah, he's tough as nails. Uh, I think uh, we're going to see some good things from him. Um, but uh, Vandera was the better fighter on this night and pulled off the big upset. Uh, speaking of upsets, uh, the women's featherweight fight between Felicia Spencer and Norma Dumont. Uh, Dumont pulled off the big upset. Felicia Spencer has fought uh, Amanda Nunes, fought uh, Chris Cyborg, and uh, has been really one of the toughest girls in the women's featherweight division. But uh, Dumont pulled out this win and got the decision victory. Yeah, super close fight. Um, there was one particular judge's card which I was like oh man he did it again it's such garbage uh there was a 30 27 I I, I want to say I think that was for Dumont um and she clearly didn't win the third sorry like she she didn't win the third right so but anyways Dumont won um I think she won just basically from her crisper strikes especially in the second where she was really showing a, a definitive advantage in the striking department that's why Spencer took her down in the third and the first super close I think Dumont just barely edged her out in the first and that's what won her uh, the fight yeah um, a lot of uh, people are super high on Felicia Spencer she's a Canadian girl uh, she moved down to Florida and she teaches sixth grade algebra in a Florida school there. Uh, she trains on the side. Uh, so hopefully at some point she can train full time and, and rise up the ranks again and get uh, another title shot. Uh, Dumont came in uh, pretty short notice, only three weeks notice to face, um, you know, definitely one of the toughest girls in the division. Uh, Dumont said after the fight that she wants to move down to 
135. Uh, she said that she's going to go to the Performance Institute in Vegas. And she's going to learn the nutrition, all the things necessary so she can fight at that lower level. She doesn't think that uh, her body size can compete at the 145 um, weight class for too many of these girls. They're a lot bigger than her. So, uh, yeah, so we'll see a different fighter, I'm sure, in Dumont coming out. Uh, Spencer's coming off a loss, but uh, it was a close fight, split decision. Uh, really could have went either way um, in this one. So um, I don't think she should hang her hang her head very much, um, you know, coming off of this fight. So uh, the fight uh, that I want to mention uh, to start off the main card had the highly hyped Edmund Shabazian facing Jack Hermanson. And uh, yeah, I haven't been high on Shabazian like so many people have been comes uh, out into his career and wins his first 11 fights. And suddenly people think he's the best thing in the whole middleweight division, uh, has a really bad loss to Derek Brunson. And then I think he gets overmatched again to Jack Hermanson. Both of us mentioned it uh, in last week's podcast. And uh, he held his own in this one, but um, Hermanson uh, proved that uh, he's just got a little bit more and uh, Shabazian better go back to the drawing board. Yeah, um, you were right, by the way. You were right. Um, Shabazian had a great first round. Uh, his first round, he clearly won because he kept his distance and his striking was better than Hermanson. Hermanson just didn't seem to be able to get off properly in that first round. Shabazian had him um, off, you could say, right, with the way that he was striking. So Hermanson... In the second, and I knew it was coming, he was like, well, he's just going to close distance and take him down. And that's exactly what he did. He did it immediately, and he kept him down for the entirety of the round. So then the third round comes around, and I'm like, I, I bet you something. I bet you he does that again, third <laughs> round. Yeah, he did Why the same he? thing. Except this time in the third, he did it even better in the second. That's why the third, and I believe it was on all judges' scorecards, <laughs> And eight rounds, blew him out, beat him up, threatened with submissions, and just was on him the complete time. And then even at the end, very end of the third, he finally got top position and was wailing on him to put a stamp on him. Yeah, he was really damaging him big time. And yeah, I'm glad they gave him a 10-8 round. He deserved yeah. that. He was super dominant and uh, put a beating on him uh, in that third round. Uh, the scores were 29-27, three across the board and uh yeah it was good to see um that ties at uh hermanson with adesanya with nine wins since 2016 so um yeah one of the the top guys in the division coming in uh he was number seven but uh, should move up in the rankings um he called out whitaker uh, i think that's a great fight for both guys he also ca called out the winner of cannoneer cost uh if Whitaker's um not able to to do it so um yeah Hermanson's uh wading into some very deep and tough waters coming but uh he's got all the confidence in the world and has been a world beater for uh like going on five years now very very smart call outs very smart call outs because he looks at his positioning in the in the in the top 10 knows who he would want to fight who will get him closer to the goal of fighting for the belt. Very, very smart. And I wish more fighters would take the time to be as smart as that, to say, 
these are the guys I'm going to call out because like, it, you know, there's, there's, there's rankings or there's quality of fighters to this game. And then those fights that you do get will just always inch you closer, but some fighters will get you closer than others. And that's just the way it is. Uh, before we talk about the prelims, uh, you mentioned callouts. Uh, there was a callout uh, last week after Benil Dariush uh, beat Tony Ferguson. Do you remember who he called out? No, I don't. Who did he call? Elon, Elon Musk. <laughs> and uh, do, do you know that the very next day, uh, Tesla delivered a loner car? To him, a Tesla loaner, loaner car to him so that he will be with the Tesla until his custom-made vehicle actually arrives. Well, I guess Elon Musk was listening going, I don't want to fight that guy, so here's some stuff. Are you good now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, that's one of the most interesting call-outs uh, we've heard. We we love hearing guys make good call-outs for next opponents. Um he went off the board and called out Elon because he said he had been waiting six months for his car. He bought it because he was just about to have a child enter the world. And he heard that uh, Tesla was Tesla was the safest vehicle on the road. And so he wanted to be in a vehicle very safe for his new child. And uh, he was a little angry that it had been taking so long to get his vehicle that uh, he said, come on, step up, get me this car. And Elon heard it, delivered a loaner to him the very next day. Uh, he posted some cool things on social media, so showing the car. And, and um, yeah, pretty neat. Uh, Elon Musk has been in the news for a lot of bad things in the last little while. It was kind of cool to see him in the news for some good things. Well, yeah, I guess. I guess he's just like, okay, like, can I get any positive PR anywhere here? You know, like, because as he's dealing with his thing. So I'm sure somebody came with him and like, well, this this UFC guy just called you out. Said if you don't if you don't give him his car, he's gonna try to find you, beat you up. It's like I want to fight that guy, so just give him a car. I give him that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who do we who do we hear the one guy call out and ask for a date? Um, trying to think of um, oh Miley Cyrus. He called Miley out and Cyrus. asked, uh, yeah, asked yeah. if they could go out on a date, and she said sure, and then he. Blew it by asking her to put a tattoo on or something. But uh, yeah, this first time I've heard somebody make this type of a call out and it, and it worked uh, good on him. Uh, he's got, he's got a car in the meantime and he'll get his car soon. I hope. And uh, yeah, kind of funny. So, all right, well uh, let's touch on the prelims uh, quickly. We'll go through a little bit of it. Uh, Rothwell was a, a big winner who goes, Against Beast Boy, Chris Barnett, as I mentioned off the top, Barnett was a late replacement, came in. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a good fighter, a little short for that division. He's going to be facing a lot of guys much taller than him and uh, might have some difficulties with that. But Rothwell, um, man, he's a veteran. He's been around. Uh, that was his uh, 52nd fight in the USB, 51st yeah. fight in the USB. I'm not in the USC, but as a pro, and uh, man... Uh, yeah, he definitely looked like the smarter fighter. And, uh, yeah, he was able to pull out the victory. Yeah, he was. And then the, the most effective strike, I thought, for Ben Rothwell in that fight was his uppercut. Just, all he had to do was, like, just uppercut the little guy all the time. And Barnett, funny enough, he, he was actually a pretty agile dude in there. 
is actually pretty quick. Uh, I think personally, he could do himself a lot of favors if he just got himself in shape and lost the weight. Like, I think he could be a very good fighter, but him fighting at heavyweight, that's not where he's supposed to fight at. I, I, don't, I just don't think so. I don't believe that's where he should be. He, but he would need to be disciplined and have to lose the weight for him to find the best possible version of himself. Personally, that's what I personally think. But he's, uh, already, Rocky, he's already lost a hundred pounds. Uh, I don't know if you heard that, but he's already lost. He was up to three sixty, and uh, so he's already put. He's already taken a hundred pounds off that frame. Uh, I don't know if his, you know, people in his camp are telling him, uh, you know, to lose even more. But uh, he definitely needs to get in a bit better shape. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how he pulled off getting rid of a hundred pounds, but. Uh, if he's able to do that, why can't he do a bit more and uh, get himself into a little bit better shape? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And also, too, I, now that you've just told me he had 100 pounds more on his frame, I can't even imagine what he looked like. He must look like a, like a ball, a beach ball. He looked like a beach ball. <laughs> Five foot nine, 360 Three pounds. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Uh, that was his USC debut. Um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see him coming in uh he was dancing coming into the octagon he was on a six fight win streak um he's been he started taekwondo at four years old uh he's um his whole family fights a lot supposedly uh and uh, yeah but uh yeah he just needs to be yeah he needs to be in better shape he uh, he looked definitely soft around the middle and uh he was quick he was uh you know definitely had some speed advantage over Rothwell, but yeah, that uh, huge advantage uh, in height, seven inch advantage in height Rothwell had. And like you say, just keep uppercutting the guy. He's eventually going to crumble and fall and, and Rothwell took the win there. So, um, okay. Uh, a welterweight fight between Court McGee and Claudia Silva. Uh, I was expecting more from Silva, to be honest with you. He had been on a, a 14 fight winning streak. Before his last fight, um, I expected him to, to look a lot better, but um, Court McGee was uh, tough as nails and, and pulled out this. Um, he, he had a reach advantage, was good. The crusher, um, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just, I don't know, dominant in many ways in this fight. Yeah, definitely was dominant. I just felt that, like, Silva's cardio just was not up to snuff. Uh, against a guy like Court McGee, whose cardio is never going to fail him, never going to fail, right? So, and I've noticed that before in some of uh, Silva's other fights, is that he begins to fade in the later rounds because it's just his cardio is just not there. And again, it showed, it reared its ugly head in this fight. And so that's something that he needs to concentrate on. That's something that he needs to shore up because it's be, if it's beginning to lose you fights, then that's something that you need to, that weakness needs to turn into a strength. And that was the difference in this fight. You're right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was strange. Uh, I couldn't believe that he gassed out. He came out in the third round and just started trying to pour it on, but uh, he only had about 30, 40 seconds worth of cardio left, and then he was done. Um, Court McGee said uh, uh, he, that was his uh, ninth USC win. It felt like a million bucks. He's a tough, uh, tough season eleven winner, and uh, yeah, he definitely. Controlled him on the ground, outstruck him badly, and uh, yeah, Court was a better fighter on that night. Um, 
any other fights that we need to mention? Uh, Bruno Silva had a huge, crazy knockout immediately into this fight. Uh, look, two, two incredible knockouts in a row for him. Um, man, uh, yeah, he, uh, he really put it on him. Yes, he did. And it was quick and it was violent. Um, I'm looking at Bruno Silva now, just going, and he must be on cloud nine thinking to himself, well, this is not that hard. It's only taking me like a minute every time. So, you know, as long as I can keep up with this crazy pace, I think I'm going to be good. No, he looks fantastic. He looked fantastic in that knockout win. And uh, I think uh, where you can expect a lot more from that young man going forward. Yeah, two fights, two months, two fights, two KOs. Uh, yeah, he's uh, walking on, uh, on cloud nine. Uh, it was the fifth, fifth fastest KO in the UFC flyweight history, only a minute in. Um, yeah, hit him with the knee. It seemed to really just put him in trouble. And then just that overhand right was just so freaking solid, man. He was just down on the canvas so fast off that shot. Yeah, like that. Like you said, the knee was what set it up, touched the chin a little bit. And you could see him wobble. And you're like, nah, no, that doesn't look good. I think that's the beginning of a whack overhead right, and then that was it. It's done. Oh, yeah, very done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you um, do you want to mention any of the other fights? Uh, anything that stands out for you? Anything else? Uh, you know what? I, I'll just say for the next fight there in the prelims, the Josh Calabo. Uh, his striking was on point. Uh, unfortunately, with the, the guy that he was fighting. It was one-dimensional. I think it's uh, Madrad or something like that. Or I, I can't even pronounce the man's name. But the way that he fought was just all he had was takedowns. And then he had no more. He didn't have a, a plan B once that failed because he just kept going to the well. And that's what made the fight, I think, especially easy for Colabo after a while. He just had to stay on his feet and take him, pick him apart, which he did. I think uh, he had something like 14 takedown attempts that was unsuccessful. And uh, yeah, it was just crazy. He didn't have a stand-up game at all and, and wasn't able to, to win once he couldn't take him down. Uh, that was it. Uh, Kulabal, Joshua Kulabal celebrates his 22nd birthday today. So happy birthday, Joshua. And uh, hope you have a great time with your family and get to celebrate a huge win in the UFC. So, yeah, so um, a great card was had. Uh, a lot of fun as usual. Uh, we have a one-week break, amazingly enough, uh, from the UFC. Uh, there's very rare for the past year since the pandemic has finished uh, have we had a break, but there's a, a one-week break uh, between cards. Uh, the next fight we will see is Saturday, June the 5th, uh, Rosenstrike and Sakai, you and I mentioned a great heavyweight battle there. Uh, the Coleman also heavyweight fight between Walt Harris and Marcin Tubura. Uh, really great to see, uh, yeah, the big boys headlining this one. Uh, Roman Delice fights, fights Staropoli. Santiago Ponzinibbio is fighting on that main card as well. And uh, Tanner Bozer, a uh, friend of the show. Uh, he's going to be fighting Ilir Latifi, uh, heavyweight battle. Uh, if one of those four fighters gets hurt, uh, do you see Tanner maybe stepping in and being in the co-main or main event? Could be. 
Could be. I hey, that's why they that's why they usually double or triple them up nowadays, right? Just in case if somebody has a COVID thing or something like that. It's a very big possibility. It's a big possibility. Because as you just mentioned on that particular card, that's a big card. It's a big card in a lot of ways because those are just that's a lot of big men on that particular card fighting. It's huge. Um, Mr. Finland, Makwan Amira Khani headlines the prelims. Uh, I heard that uh, his initial opponent fell off. Uh, right now, I've got Nate Landwehr as his opponent, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. We got Francisco Trinaldi fight, uh, fighting Muslan Salikov, Alan Patrick fighting, and um, yeah, man, it's uh, looked like a stacked card, but we have a week off, so. I guess next Monday we'll just be talking uh, playoff basketball throughout and uh, have a shorter podcast and we'll just be able to uh, have a free Saturday night. Uh, unusual for me. I'm usually glued to the TV watching UFC, uh, but uh, this week um, nothing to do and just get ready for, uh, for uh, next Monday's podcast. So um, man, it went around a little long today, but um, lots to cover and uh, I had a good time as usual. Always have a good time, my friend. Always have a good time. Always enjoy doing this. And uh, definitely going to be enjoying watching the games uh, later on today. Yeah, we got about an hour, hour and a half to wait here. And uh, yeah, enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy the rest of your Victoria Day long weekend. And uh, have a great week ahead. Keep in touch. And uh, we'll talk very soon. We'll see you here next Monday. We will see you here next Monday. You enjoy your holiday as well, my friend. And uh, I'll text you during the uh, during the, uh, the evening with the games. Sounds good, buddy. Okay, thanks again. All right, cheers. All right, see you later. Cheers. All right, bye for now. Okay, uh, I better wrap it up quick. Uh, hey, thanks so much for keeping tuned in to another podcast episode. Complete Sports Media has been uh, going for getting close to a year now. Uh, we the complete media network is about to launch. We've got many, many, many industries and things that we are going to start jumping into. So be ready. Uh, we're going to try to launch this at the beginning of June. So we're busy, busy trying to pull it together for you. So uh, thanks for your support. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you love it as much as we love putting it together. Take care of yourself. Thanks to everybody that contributes and helps out. Love you lots. Take care of yourself and bye for now. We'll see you next week.